Welcome to the Limitless Career Podcast, the show where you hear the how, why, and what it takes to build an ambitious and fulfilling career that stands out. Around here, we believe that ambition isn't a dirty word, and each episode will show you exactly what I mean. I'm your host, Jazz Broughton, certified career coach on a mission to empower you to embrace ambition, create your own rules, and create a career and life you never thought possible. I do this work and more with a dose of reality, curiosity, challenge and intention to enable you to show up and go get the growth your ambitious career deserves. Welcome to the Limitless Career Podcast. I am Jazz and very, very excited to have a special guest with us today sharing her journey, her story, Eileen Willett. Hi, Eileen. Hello, and um, thank you so much for having me here, Jazz. I'm very excited. Even though I went to the wrong place to start off with, I am here now. (laughs) We found ourselves across these interwebs. Exactly. (laughs) That's amazing. Can you give um, an introduction to you, you know, just for our listeners? Who's Eileen? Okay, I will try and keep this short, and I'll try not to go on too much at length, but I am Eileen Willett. I am Japanese-Canadian. I am married. I have three kids. I no longer have a dog. I'm the co-founder of Cucumber Clothing with my co-founder, Nancy Zeffman, who is my twin and yet my opposite. Um, Cucumber Clothing is a, is a women's wear brand, which I'm sure I'll be talking about a bit later on. I am also the co-host of a weekly interview series for Small Business Britain Entrepreneur. Um, and yeah, I think, is that enough for now? (laughs) (laughs) That's good. That's a great start. And I want to probably start somewhere abstract. I love the way you said my twin, but also my opposite. Tell me some more about that. (laughs) Yes. So, I mean, with cucumber clothing, it's like, oh yeah, you're Nancy and Eileen or you're Eileen and Nancy. But I mean, we are a similar height. We both love to work out, which is where our brand started, but she is blonde and I'm dark. Um, She is I might, like, I'm an Aquarian, so I'm like, I think I'm like water. She's more like fire. But it oh, works because, yeah. you know, when you're co-founders, it's like a marriage. You're in each other's lives. And, I mean, we're women. We're in each other's hair. It's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have to get on. You have to find a good, strong relationship. And we were, we were good friends beforehand, and we have remained yeah. good friends. And our kids, which is where we first met, are still good friends. So I think, I think that's pretty good. That's amazing. I love that. And I I totally, you're not the first co-founder to kind of say that. I remember even being at a talk and somebody saying that, you know, his business relationships have lasted longer than his marriage did. You know, he'd been working on this business for like six, seven years and his marriage was four and it was in between that. Um, And although the whole audience was like, oh no, oh dear. He was like, this is why I tell you to be thoughtful about who you build as a team. And he was talking in the context of, you know, this is my COO right-hand person person as opposed to maybe co-founder relationship which is even more kind of responsibility in that that partnership is really really there um but I definitely think that's really really interesting um that that kind of organic relationships there and the the family blending is great as well so what started off cucumber clothing like ah well the beginning of our journey so the very beginning as I said was um one of Nancy's sons uh, became very good friends with one of my kids um, when they were seven. They're now in their 20s. They're still very good friends. Um, but And we both share a love of working out, which I, I totally get. It just sounds very boring and a bit worthy. But, but I really love 
hot yoga. I love wild swimming. I used to love running till my knee went. Um, you know, we, we have it the same trainer we and she loves basketball she also swims she's starting a netball team um so we you know we, we both just like to move around and we love the kind of positive vibes that you get from working out and losing yourself in physical exercise i think honestly for me it's definitely a type of meditation anyway we found that if in the morning we were working out, you put on your leggings, you put on your sports bra, whatever. If during that day you didn't actually have to see someone for a meeting or dress up smartly for something, at the end of the day, you'd still be wearing those same clothes because you would have forgotten that you were wearing them. They're so comfortable. They move with your body. A little bit of compression, always a good thing. Um, totally breathable. Really, if you get you never get hot in it. Everything just wicks away if you get a bit sweaty. And um, we just thought, why can't we have clothes like this for every day? You know, there, there's, I'm a massive high heels person. I love dressing up. I love, you know, sometimes you want to wear bodycon stuff. You want to wear stuff that celebrates fashion. But 70% of the time for most women, and maybe even more, we want to look at, but we want to feel comfortable too. And yeah, that was our point of starting. And so really it was all about the fabric. So I would say that cucumber clothing makes luxurious clothing for every day but what that means is they're the everyday hero pieces they're not the hero hero pieces in your wardrobe like this fantastic gown or like amazing sequin trousers no we're not trend-led we're not style-led we're very much seasonless sustainable fashion and we want our pieces to be the pieces that women reach for when they think oh, i just need to grab something to go out in and they know when they wear us they're not going to ever look crushed they're never going to look sweaty they're going to feel comfortable and therefore they're going to look good yeah oh i love that seasonless sustainable clothing um and this is really interesting for me because comfort is like number one. I'm going out tonight and I'm in the most comfortable thing known to man and I'm just doing the jewellery and stuff. Part of that is how I've always been, but the other part of that is like post-pandemic. It's like, what? <laughs> when I leave the house, how do I want to feel? All of that good stuff. Um, and I think that really plays into how confident people feel in their everyday is just having something that is functional. But still, just because it's functional doesn't mean it needs to be boring, doesn't mean it needs to be cheap for want of a better word right it can still be something that feels wonderful and makes you feel wonderful in that sense absolutely you sorry I, I was just I gonna say, I think every everybody every woman I know has had at least one incident where they've gone out and they're either you know they're either yanking down a skirt that's a bit too tight or they're like mm. trousers or somehow a jacket doesn't fit and once you're in that situation already you're you're you know you've lost it because yeah. you're so conscious of how you're looking and you know you're not looking the way you want to look so we like to think that our clothes just take one problem out of a busy mm. woman yeah amazing have you always been an entrepreneur well that's a really good question but Yes and no. So, I mean, I started off, I did a Bachelor of Fine Arts. Um, I was a fashion illustrator to start off with. Um, after I moved to the UK, I met my husband. I mean, I'm Japanese Canadian. As I said, I had a gap year in Japan where I met my English husband there, moved to England. Um, I ended up working for Nicole Fari on the menswear side, which was fantastic. Um, and then I took a long break and had my kids. Um, and then I did start my own business, which I loved. And that was quite helpful um, with this because Cucumber is much bigger. Um, my last business was a bespoke bag and um, accessory brand called Water Bags, my maiden name. And so I made all of it. So I, I got commissions and I made all of it. And it was fantastic. And it made me think that if you have a great idea and you're willing to work hard at it, 
actually you can you can make stuff happen quite easily because a lot of people have great ideas and then they put them they park them on the shelf for you know for lots of very good reasons but you can make stuff happen yeah wow that's that's really really great and the fact that that was kind of folded into your experience with cucumber clothing and almost kind of using that and weaving it all together I get a sense when I hear about your ventures and what you do that there's a there's a lot of identity that's woven into that you know even you being Japanese Canadian what has that meant to you as you sort of navigated life and career that is such a good question and literally we just wouldn't have enough time if we spoke till midnight <laughs> um, and and so the reason I say that is because when I where I grew up in Vancouver which now is I think something like 70% non-caucasian population 65 or 75% something like that so it's a really diverse population when I grew up it, it wasn't like that and where I grew up right by the university was very much a um, very much caucasian dominated so my high school probably had six non-white people in it so to be honest with you uh, as I grew up you, I knew I was japanese ethnically and there are lots of things that I carry with me that I knew that I was Japanese but I never really recognized it in my, that in myself and then moving to England you know living here I'd say I, I never really thought very much about my ethnicity until now that my kids are more grown up you know um, and I've had more time to think about it and I've become quite involved in uh, this group called Entrepreneur, which is part of Small Business Brit Britain doing these uh, a series of live interviews weekly and they're really with entrepreneurs um, from diverse ethnic backgrounds to discuss how that's informed their lives and what they're doing etc and it's really made me think a lot about my own ethnicity and how it's informed my life in a way that I've never really had time to investigate so I would say very it has really um, been a big part of my life in the way that I deal with people so I'm East Asian you know I tend to be quite quiet if you know, if, you know, that's my default, quite quiet, I wouldn't push myself forward. I'd never want to be in front of the camera. This this was like a whole new thing I had to get through with Cucumber was learning how to not be, feel terrified about being in front of people and speaking up. Um, and then also, you know, I'm an immigrant in this country, which means that you have to force yourself to make a lot of new networks. And it's not something that happens automatically. You have to really work at it, just like, you know, you work at a relationship friendships are relationships as well you can't just think oh, i'm gonna make some friends and it's a one-way street you you really have to give a lot and then you get a lot back so that's also been a huge learning process um and then i also think that i'm re recognizing now that i am japanese ethnically and so i look different and parts of me inside my mind and emotionally will be different. And it's something to celebrate. And I know I said I'd mentioned this. I didn't think it'd be so early on, but I'm just starting a personal project called East Asian Girl Gang. And it's really just about finding like-minded women who are East Asian. Because I think when you find people from the same cultural and ethnic background as you, you often have this like aha moment where you're like, oh, yeah, like my mom used to do that. Or, yeah, that happened to me when I was a kid. And those types of aha moments you really want to get with the people who have had that similar cultural heritage or ethnic heritage that you yourself brought up with and it's great it's great and almost a, in a way a relief making those connections 
Yeah, it's amazing. Because I think, like with most relationships, it's an opportunity to sort of mirror back to us. And whether they are very different to us, i.e., you know, the relationship with your co-founder or similar, you know, they say something and that jogs a memory for you. It's always a really great path of discovery and you just never know. Um, I think especially when it comes to community, having safe spaces where you can have conversations with others who just get it right they 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 just get it you maybe say a phrase that your mother used to say and they're like you know exactly like you said my mom used to say that or my mom used to do that and they understand that and you can have a conversation about what does that mean where do we think that came from uh, you know is that something that we're going to say to our own kids or did you find yourself saying it to your own children and and things like that I think that is so important especially for um, I guess the next generation, right? I don't have children, but I'm acutely aware that my partner is from Ghana and I'm from Jamaica and we're not first generation, right? So we're te- now taking this journey of how do we raise children in the UK that are acutely aware of their heritage and their ethnicity, even though we live a pretty modern version of our cultures in our house you know like I'll use the example of my home you walk in and there there isn't a Jamaican flag on the wall there isn't um you know a bible scripture hanging somewhere right there aren't the 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 things that we took uh, what I at least took for granted growing up in the family home in my grandma's home that tell you that this this is a Caribbean household right whether it's Jamaican or not you can see it in the artwork you can see it in the decoration you can see it in oh uh, gosh, pictures, poems on the wall, lots of different things like that. That Those trappings aren't inside our house. So it's like, how do we become more intentional in building that in? Do we buy artwork that is from Ghana? Do we make sure that we play music that is Jamaican? Like, how do we then infuse this? So it's something that's always kind of front of mind. What does that mean for not only like the third culture kids, right, who were from somewhere, grew up somewhere else, but then also those that are further down the generational line. How do they feel a sense of connection um, to their quote unquote motherland? Um, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think those are all questions that you have to think about. I, I certainly know that in some senses with my mother being first generation, you know, in um, Japanese culture new year's day is a huge is the biggest day of the year and it's a time of rebirth for everybody so the night before really the day before you're meant to clean your house from like everything has to be cleaned from top to bottom the last thing you do is you take a bath and wash yourself so that when the clock strikes midnight everything is clean and purified in your home and my mum used to more or less do that in our house and I used to feel so guilty (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I didn't do that. Like the, I think the first few years after I got married, I tried to like do like a clean and like change the sheets and make sure everything. Mm. And then as the kids came along, it was like, yeah, I just too tired. <laughs> <laughs> and now, now what I do is like, I honor what my mom did for me and just mm. I'm glad she taught me about that. And it was a really positive thing for me, but I kind of forgive myself for not doing it. Mm. <laughs> Instead have like a nice evening with my friends. Yeah, (laughs) it's that. It's like finding new ways of celebrating because as well, I think when we think culturally, um, there's an element of life accommodating that or that being the norm, right? If if this celebration is happening in the middle of the week, I'm kind of like, do I take a day off to clean? Do I get the kids in? Are we all cleaning? Is it just me? How... (laughs) 
<laughs> How, what have I cleaned on the weekend before? <laughs> this is it because it's the sentiment. It's really honoring the traditions of that specific time and that season. Um, and yeah, making it our own, making it our own a hundred percent. So tell me some more about East Asian girl gang. What's your kind of vision with that? Because I'm sensing, and, and we had a little chat before we hit record, that this is super fresh for you. So what was that moment where you were like, I need to do this, I need to create space? Yeah, well, fresh is the right word because it literally, I sort of semi-launched it two days ago. So it's, <laughs> it's in the for it's like bulging in the forefront of my mind right now. Um, so it's something I've been, you know, the pandemic, pandemic so boring to go over it, but it has been this big thing in everyone's lives, you know, negative, some positives have come out of it for some people. And I think one thing it has given everybody space to think whether they wanted to or not, to reassess their lives, to think about what they want, where they might want to live, what kind of life they want to have. Um, and for me, as I said, it, it gave me time to think. It gave me time to think about my cultural heritage and what that meant to me. And it made me realize that actually I, I have so many truly wonderful friends and I really love them both in this country and in Canada as well um but actually I don't have very many East Asian friends here and I think it's really literally because there aren't that many of us in terms of um if you look percentage-wise in terms of ethnic groups um and I thought it would be really great to be able to kind of create a network of women who share the same cultural and ethnic background just it's it's totally non-profit it's not I'm not monetizing this in any way it's literally just a place of safety support friendship networking it you know bit of professional stuff mixed in there people want it um and for anybody who wants to find and explore that area of their lives and I've got already a bunch of really interesting um, fantastic, smart women who are just busy with life. And it already feels really positive to me. So if anybody listening is interested, you can um, contact me after and I'd be happy to add you to our group. Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing a little bit of that background. I can't wait to see that blossom um, and grow. And naturally, we'll have everything in the show notes for you to reach out to Eileen around that. Thinking about your career journey overall, what have been some of your greatest lessons? Oh, um, there's so many. Let me try and distill down. I think actually, um, and it's going to sound a bit boring, is you need to either understand numbers or you need somebody who can understand the numbers for you that you trust. So when you are embarking on your entrepreneurial journey, generally that means you're opening a business. So generally that means you are trying to monetize in some way, shape or form and a business is a business. It survives because it makes money. Now you may choose to give away a portion of your profits. You may choose to use some of your profits to plant trees or to offset em emissions that you, you know, you, you, there are lots of things that you can do with your profits, but to become a viable business, you do have to make a profit. So I think one of the areas that we certainly didn't realize at the beginning, because we were very naive, was how much you, of a handle you have to have on your numbers. And it's something We've learned, I'm not going to say the hard way, we never had any huge disasters, but um, it's just something that it's really been 
we've drilled down on that, that you have to understand your numbers. You have to be on top of them all the time. You can't just assume things are going okay. Oh yeah, the bank balance looks fine. That's not, yeah, that's fine. No, you need to really be on top of it. And even to the point that, you know, if one day you're at the point where you want to sell your business, well, there's no point saying, oh yeah, I've got the account somewhere, but this one wasn't quite right. Like, no, no one's going to ever take you seriously. So I think there's that. Um, the other thing I can say from personal experience is if you are launching your own business, having a co-founder is a fantastic thing because you are, you may be the greatest person at doing what you're doing and you may have the greatest idea, but you are one person. You still have to eat. You have to sleep. You occasionally just once a year, maybe have to take a few days off. But if you don't have a co-founder, it's on you at the beginning because and that's tough. So, and also it's that aha moment that if you have a co-founder, you don't need to spend five minutes, five minutes explaining your problem to a friend or a partner or whatever. And they're like, mm. oh yeah, yeah, no, you just say, and that thing. And they're like, yeah, wasn't that, and you, you know, this is, part, yeah, it just works out. So yeah. Was that the, was that the question? Was it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Greatest lessons, numbers, co-founder, get some help and take some days off. Like and Just do it. And also the other thing is if you've got your numbers lined up and you've got your great idea and hopefully you've got a co-founder, then just go for it. You know? Yeah. Amazing. Thank you so much. What are, I guess, what are some of the parts that were a little bit stickier? I kind of describe it as like being in the treacle, but, um, any points that were particularly challenging across the journey, right? Um, whether that was anticipated or not anticipated. I think st st I think the thing with stickiness, as you put it, I really like that, the triacalness that can happen. Um, it's, you always expect it, but it always comes in a place where you're not looking for it. So, you know, it's what they call those black swan events. You know, you're looking out for trouble. You've kind of said, well, we've covered that and we've covered that and okay, we're, we're good there. And that might be a bit tricky, but we, and then suddenly from like behind you at 35 degrees, zoom, in comes something and you're like stuck there like a flying aspect. And you think, how did that, we didn't even see that coming. So you can't prepare for everything. Um, you know, for us, one of the, oh, that was early on, but one of the most difficult things we faced was when we first moved to fulfillment, which is where you give all your goods to a warehouse and they send out stuff to you. Um, it was a complete disaster. So we, we pride ourselves on customer service, on answering people personally, making sure everything is right, great quality, et cetera, et cetera. And then this warehouse was sending out stuff to the wrong people with the wrong things in it, sometimes double, sometimes boxes labeled shoes. Yeah. We don't make shoes. Oh, <laughs> it was just oh, like, oh. we went into it thinking, oh, this is great. This is going to save us so much time. It's going to be wonderful. And instead it was a nightmare and cost us a fortune to get um, disentangled from that. So, yeah, so that was very much a sticky moment. And I, I'd say in terms of stickiness, though, this is not this is a sort of ongoing challenge, is our whole sustainability journey. So. We call ourselves a sustainable brand because once we get our fabrics in the country, we make everything in a five mile radius, which means that we design, we um, sample, we manufacture, we grade, and we warehouse all within a five mile radius in London. And that means everything is done locally. We have oversight on our factories and the people we work with. It's just a very virtuous circle for us. And we try and source everything except the fabric from within the country. Um, so that that's all really great. The downside is when you are trying your best, as best as you can to be as sustainable as you can, it's actually very expensive and you can't 
pass the price of that on to your customers. You just can't because then you'd be charging ludicrous prices. Um, but it is a challenge to feel like you want to do the right thing, but you still have to keep your head above water financially. And, you know, at one point, because it were a small company, we just thought we still have these plastic bags that the factory puts our clothing into to keep it clean when after they've made it up. Don't want any plastic in our chain, so we made the decision to move to these really fantastic um, vegetable starch bags, which are made in Lincolnshire from English vegetables, um, vegetable waste, and they're fantastic. But they cost literally more than ten times the price of what we were using before, and it's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. It adds up really quickly, and that's just one tiny element of our company. So I'd say that you know, wanting to do the right thing and finding a way to do it are two different things, and uh, and it's tricky. Sticky. Yeah. Thank you so much for shedding light on that because I think a lot of a lot of people want to be sustainable but don't get into the weeds of what that actually means, right? It's yes, you can choose to do it with your profits uh, and financially, but when you start to look at okay, your processes, even you know, one thing that a lot of people are looking at is like making their website carbon zero and you know, you can get into every step has an opportunity, but with that step, there comes a cost because again, these are, these are bespoke processes in many ways. Um, and they're not the norm, which is really, really annoying. Um, I always kind of hope that as things progress and more people are interested though, that sort of, um, economies of scale that essentially have made, the, the plastic options, the cheapest, and, you know, the unsustainable options, the cheapest um, on the market kind of start to balance things out. But it's so, so, so important to to really recognize that it is more than that. But, and, and also kind of, I don't know, when I think about sustainability, I think about it also in the terms of equity and diversity and inclusion. And I just think this is a journey. This is a lifelong journey of unpicking one thing at a time, one thing at a time. If we can keep just making one step forward, we can improve this process. We can make this process cleaner, this process, you know, greener for want of a better word. Um, where did, I guess, that drive come for you um, or you both, if you can speak for you both as co-founders? Right? I will speak for us both because we're basically one person. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, where did the drive come from? I think it's just partly because... You know, we're in the privileged position that we live in London, we have food on our table, we have a roof over our heads. We both have kids and and whether you have children or not isn't the point. It's when you're looking towards the future, whether personally, for your family, for the planet itself, it, it, at this point, it just doesn't make sense to, to be cavalier about it. We I think we know too much <clears throat> about what's happening climatically and and in this world to, to want to try and ignore it. Now, it's very, very difficult. So right now, you know, restrictions have sort of ended in terms of travel in this country, which is in one sense, absolutely fantastic. And I know a lot of people right now, and I'm counting myself among them who are looking forward to getting away and going out of the country and, and, and going on a holiday. But that's a choice too. You know, if I really thought about it, should I be getting on an airplane? I don't know. 
should you know should we be doing that i don't know so we're we're bombarded with all these choices really that we that we have to make all the time and we so we just thought when we were creating this company from the ground up and it's in our first business plan we really wanted it to be ethical and sustainable because if you can build that in from the beginning you are going to make mistakes and you are always going to get some stuff wrong but at least you can put your hand on your heart and say okay we tried our best let's try this now instead of trying to retrofit everything which is what you know you've got a fantastic big company that's doing really well you have to retrofit now and also you know very big producers of clothing um they're not just making 50 or 100 or 500 or even 5000 pieces or something they're making 50000 pieces or 100000 so there's also kind of that mind shift and i don't know when it will come when we have to think we don't always need things which are new and it's happening with rental and you know circularity and all of that but i i don't know i am as guilty as the next person of thinking oh gosh it's a spring i'd really like a new pair of you know mm. drink. and i don't know when that whole mindset will change but we felt we had to try at least with our business to try and make it as sustainable as possible from from the ground up so we're trying what would you say your values are as an individual so separate from cucumber clothing (laughs) well you know i'd say that who who have been the biggest influences in my life it's all family so my children have taught me a huge amount my husband I've learned a lot from him we're from very different we're very similar in many ways had similar upbringing but we're very different culturally um and my parents who you know had the most enormous um effect on me so my dad who was you know incredibly ambitious person and very very successful in his sphere just kind of taught me about hard work and how if you really are passionate and you love what you do it makes all the difference he was a neurologist and um he just loved what he did he never he worked seven days a week because he he just ignored weekends which kind of <laughs> us as kids but, <laughs> but you know through his work it's like he was passionate yeah, it was a get to do not a have to do it's like dad is not being forced dad kind of exactly <laughs> yeah, yeah no and, and that's what you want to have with your job and my mom was you know incredibly just incredibly empathetic kind and loving person and so I think probably values from her just you know the fact that kindness does come back and it's so cliche no be kind you know do good whatever but it's kind of true you know if you try and be a good person you try and be kind to everyone that you meet within reason we can't always be in a good mood then generally good things come back to you because people respond to kindness and people are warm towards people who are kind to them and so you get that warmth back and then everybody walks off with a smile on their face and instead of honking at the next person at the next corner you just like say no you go ahead and so yeah kindness cliche but whatever no, but it's true. You know, it's true. I, could, I, I couldn't resist asking the question because I feel like so much of what you value and hold dear and, and your personal principles have guided your journey so far and, and the, the work that you do and that you're excited about and attracted to is, is very much that. So, yeah, couldn't resist asking. Ah, where can people find you? Oh, where can people find me? <laughs> I am everywhere, Jazz. So... Easiest place is LinkedIn. I'm Eileen Willett. Um, I'm on Instagram as Cucumber Clothing. I'm also there as East Asian Girl Gang, which I've just set up. So there's, I think I have six followers. <laughs> and um, I'm on Twitter as Eileen 
Willett, I'm pretty sure. Um, you can find us at www.cucumberclothing.com. Uh, you can email me at eileenatcucumberclothing.com. Um, and I will always respond. So contact me. <laughs> Amazing. And just in closing, um, again, we're kind of recording this still at what feels like the top of the year. It's February, but it still just feels like the start of the year, right? Um, what would be your message to anybody who's listening who wants to navigate maybe a similar journey around starting a business, doing something that is is values-led, right, focused on sustainability, but also just very authentic? What would be your advice to that person listening today? Um, gosh, well, I guess it's really about finding something that you're passionate about. Uh, I think some people can start businesses around things that they don't care about. It's more for them, the whole business journey is is really interesting for them. But if you're like me, it's, you've got to feel passionate about what you do because then it doesn't feel like you're putting in the time. And then it's a little bit like going back to school. Do your research because I think any successful business will have somebody who is taking the time to understand the business, the market, where is their gap, what do people want, what do their prospective customers want. You have to understand the people who might buy from you. You have to, you have to know them. Um, like a friend so that you can think, yeah, no, they'd really like that. Or no, they'd never buy something like that. Um, get your money, get your numbers right. Find a co-founder. And yeah, once you've got all of those ducks lined up, then just go ahead. I'm not going to say shoot. That's a terrible metaphor. I hate that. <laughs> <laughs> just once the stars align, yeah. then go for it. That's a much nicer image. I love that. Uh, and I'm so happy to close on that. Thank you so much for sharing your journey and your wisdom with us here today. Jazz, it's been a pleasure and um, I've loved every minute of it. Thank you so much for asking me to join you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Limitless Career Podcast, where you hear the how, why and what it takes to build a career that stands out. If anything from today's episode has impacted you, I'd love to hear about it. So reach out on social media or by email. Don't forget to check the links in the show notes to find out how we can work together, get your hands on some juicy resources and join the mailing list for more fuel for your ambition. Until next time, take care.